The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode four of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're going to be talking about Avengers number four, Captain America joins the Avengers. That's right, the star-spangled Avenger himself will be joining the team finally. So this issue comes to us in March of 1964. It's written by Stan Lee, pencils by Jack Kirby, ink by George Russos, and letters by Art Simic. So we start off the issue this month with a nice splash page of Captain America walking into what looks like some kind of Avengers meeting. However, this page kind of gets a little bit ahead of itself in terms of Cap won't appear for at least several more pages and a little bit of plot. We also get an editor's note, uh, presumably from Stan, telling us that we may want to keep this issue to treasure it. And we get the unfortunate beginnings here of the collector's market, which has cursed comic books uh, ever since, really. So the issue actually picks up effectively in the last couple of panels of issue number three, where the Avengers are fighting Namor, the Submariner. And after the Hulk abandons him, Namor goes ahead and takes off because he realizes he can't take the, the Avengers all together. So as he flees, we get a little bit of kind of inner monologue and Namor's very frustrated and he finds himself up in the North Sea encountering some Eskimos, which I'd like to point out the North Sea is up in Germany and Eskimos are Native Americans. So, you know, comic book logic here, but our geography's a little off. So unlike last issue where we were really kind of spot on about the look of Gibraltar, we're a lot less spot on this time. So as Namor approaches these Eskimos, he notices that they are worshiping a figure in ice and Namor gets frustrated and th again and throws a tantrum, smashing up the ice around them and, and chucking the ice figure into the, the water. At this point, Namor is kind of really very dismissive of the indigenous peoples. He refers to them as fearful primitives and uncomprehending. Obviously, this day and age, that, that kind of talk is really unacceptable. In the 1960s, obviously, keeping in mind that it was more acceptable, it's nice to see that the times have changed. So little does Namor realize that the figure in ice is actually Captain America. And as Captain America travels down the Gulf Stream... He is eventually thawed and then found by the Avengers, who bring his, what they expect to be, lifeless body onto their jet-powered bathyscaphe, which I still love the idea. Like, I love the idea of the jet-powered bathyscaphe. It's ridiculous, and it's comic books kind of at its best, where you just say, okay, this is what we're going to do, and we just run with it. Speaking of comics at its very best, we get a great third-of-a-page panel of Captain America laid out after the Avengers bring him on, and it's just, it's got some of the best inks I've seen so far in this book. You know, the, the colors, the colors are also work really nicely, but the inks with the tatters of clothing that Steve was wearing, casting shadows on his current clothes and the shield, it's just, it's great, great art. So obviously, like I said, this is the first introduction of Captain America. So who is Cap? He's, he's one of the characters we probably most closely associate with the Avengers, 
And most people don't realize he's not actually a founding member of the Avengers, right? This is issue number four. We were founded back in issue number one. So Cap is a little bit late coming to the game, but Cap will certainly make a mark on the team. But again, so who is he? Captain America is Steve Rogers, who is really the epitome of the old-fashioned 98-pound weakling. He volunteers for the Army and is selected for the Super Soldier program, where he's given an experimental serum by Dr. Erskine, and he is transformed into a Super Soldier. Later, we'll actually find out that the experiment that created Cap is part of the Weapon Plus program, and that Cap is actually Weapon Number One. Although Wolverine, Weapon X, is considered to be the most famous of the Weapon Plus program experiments, Cap is considered to be the most successful experiment. Cap has superhuman strength, endurance, agility, and intelligence. All of that is combined with advanced military training, making him one of the most dangerous soldiers in the world. He's originally created by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon way back in 1941 and is one of Marvel's older characters, along with Namor, who premiered back in Marvel Comics number one. Captain America's first appearance is Captain America Comics number one, which has got that fantastic, very his, uh, historical, maybe not the right word, very memorable cover of Captain America decking Hitler, the, the really terrible cartoon looking Hitler. So I'll make sure to put the, uh, a picture of, of that cover in the, the show notes. So after being brought on board by the Avengers, much to their surprise, Cap wakes up. Right? He's been frozen for nearly 20 years at this point. Ballpark frozen about 1945, and this is 1964 that he's thought out, and they are floored to see that he is still alive. Cap, however, doesn't realize any time has passed and actually wakes up screaming out for Bucky, who was his teenage sidekick. Unfortunately... For Cap, he realizes very quickly that he is, in fact, not where he thought he was, and that Bucky is, in fact, dead. So, the Avengers certainly think he's Captain America, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them, given that he's been frozen for 20 years. He doesn't look like he's aged a day, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them that he should have been able to survive at all. So, they test him. Really, the only way they know how to test him, and given the fact that they're still in ye old jet-powered bathyscaphe, they try and fight him. Now, I, I question the logic of them trying to fight in a small enclosed space, especially because the first thing that they do is Thor wings his, his hammer at Cap and it starts ricocheting off the walls. In my personal opinion, this is a really easy way for them to get a hull breach of some kind, but it seems to work out for them in the end. And after a display of his physical prowess, the team is convinced he's Captain America, but now they want an explanation as to how he ended up in the block of ice. And it just so happens, we will go ahead and get that flashback. The flashback in question shows us Bucky and Cap chasing down an American drone plane. Yes, folks, there were drone planes all the way back in World War II. This isn't a new invention. And we see a shadowy, mysterious little figure in the corner claiming to finally have his revenge against Captain America. She says his triumph over Captain America and Bucky. Now remember that character, folks. He'll come back. Yeah, we, in a few issues, we will, in fact, see who is the man in the shadows. But at any rate, Cap and Bucky kind of manage to get on the plane. Bucky gets a much better grip than Cap does. And Bucky attempts to defuse the, the weapon and then realizes it's rigged just as Cap lets go. And Bucky is thought to have just been blown up. Cap plummets down to the ocean, and basically Cap can't live with his failure of letting Bucky die, so he just lets himself sink and expects that he's going to die as well. 
Now, for those of us who are modern comic readers, we will realize that we will see Bucky again. It'll be 41 years before we see Bucky, but we will see him again. Obviously, those of you familiar with the Marvel film franchise realize that Bucky is, in fact, the Winter Soldier, who is a Soviet assassin. And to be honest, we will actually see Bucky throughout those 41 years, though typically it will be in retellings of Steve's origin or in flashbacks or period written stories. Despite the fact that in theory the character dies in 1945, the comic actually continued on through 1950 with a very short aborted attempt to restart the book in 1955. So we, we will actually get a lot of World War II period Captain America pieces. And, and the two will actually appear consistently in other books as well. I know there was a Wolverine Origins run of Wolverine in World War II that also has Captain Bucky from about 2009 or so. It's also worth noting, and something that I haven't really brought up before, as I mentioned, I'm reading this mostly digitally, though I, have, I do have the omnibus of the first 25 issues, as well as the Marvel Masterworks for the first t- uh, 20 issues, I believe. And there are some coloring differences in the book. A lot of them are minor, in, including this one, and that Bucky's hair in the digital version, and I believe in the original print version, is brown, and in the omnibus version, it is blonde. And that may not seem like a, a big deal, but in a few pages that'll actually come up in kind of an important way. If that, that distinction, if he's a blonde, there's a plot point that doesn't work out as well. And I'll point that out when we get there. This flashback also serves really nicely to give us a sense of the level to which Cap feels about duty and responsibility. He feels he failed so terribly by letting Bucky die. He can't stand living anymore. At that point, I mean, that's the ultimate consequence of failure is is loss of your own life. Or at least in Cap's case, it is the thought that he lost his own life because obviously he is back in 1964. And as we speak, the Avengers are pulling into New York Harbor. Of course, they get off their jet-powered bathyscaphe to a sea of reporters thanks to the fight they just had with Namor and Hulk in Gibraltar. However, something really weird happens during the press gathering in that it appears that the Avengers have been turned to stone. They look like statues. The The press feel that they have just been deceived and the Avengers are basically just looking for a way to, to get around given interviews and whatnot. But of course, Cap, who is not immediately with the Avengers, kind of takes a minute to get off the bathyscaphe, realizes immediately that something's not right. Again, though, Cap is a man out of time, so he takes a chance to wander around New York City. So it's kind of interesting. So I was thinking about this. So Cap has basically been frozen for 20 years from 1945 to 1964. So 19 years, but we'll just say 20 years for argument's sake. Kind of thinking about that, 20 years is effectively a generation. Generation is on average about 25 years, but it's basically a generation worth of time. And not all that much has honestly changed. I mean, the world is different, but it's not so different that Cap can't recognize the world he's in. And in fact, I would argue that 1945 to 1964 is less of a change than, say, 1996 to current 2016. I think the magnitude of changes in both societal norms, in technology, in dress, in all those kinds of things is much more significant in the later portion of the 20th century, early 21st century, than it is in the middle of the 20th century. Of course, you can now also compare that to 2011 when Captain America the First Avenger came out. So at that point, you're looking at from 1945 to 2011. That's a huge change. And I I don't know in a lot of ways that Marvel does enough, in the films at least, to show Cap really being that far out of his element. 
As much as I love Chris Evans as, as Captain America, and I really do, I just don't know that he really struggles enough with being out of time. The, you know, there, there are other portions I think Marvel does very well. The fact that most of Cap's friends are now 80 and 90-year-old veterans. The whole thing with Peggy Carter, I think that was a really, really touching thing that the films do well, but I don't think they have Cap adapting to the modern world played out very well. Now, here in the comic, on the other hand, I think of, of anything in New York, they really picked a fantastic one to use as an example of how things have changed, is the United Nations building, which, for those of you who are history buffs, pre-World War II, you had the League of Nations, which was an abysmal failure. Now you have the United Nations post-war, and, you know, it's an ar argument that can be had, but it's reasonably successful. It really shows kind of the difference in the world that Steve left and the world that Steve's in now is that you have this effectively beefed up reincarnation of a failed organization that is actually successful. We also get a, a police officer who actually breaks down into tears on seeing Cap. That's how much Cap means to him, I think, as a figure and as a paragon of virtue, if you will. Not only is Cap an important part of the Avengers, Cap actually means something to people. I think that's something that's probably true of those people reading the comics, especially, you know, the younger generation at that time, because these are the kids of, of men who went off to World War II and who read Captain America comics while they were at sea or in the trenches. And so it's something that they can relate to on that level. So Captain America eventually finds his way to a hotel where he decides to take a breather because he's got a lot to process and is eventually woken up by the character we know is Rick Jones, but bears a striking resemblance to Cap's former sidekick, Bucky. So this is where I mentioned that the hair color comes into play. Looking at the pages, if you look at Bucky as a blonde versus look, look at Bucky with brown hair, the resemblance to Rick Jones is much, much less if he's colored as a blonde. And so this page doesn't play quite as well when Bucky is a blonde. Whereas he's got brown hair, this page plays amazingly. For one, Kirby's art is at the top of its game. Cap's facial expressions are just astounding. The inking is great, the color is great, but the expression itself, Jack's pencils, they, they, they pull at you on an emotional level. It's, it's really fantastic. And Cap has a fairly wild swing. He goes from what is effectively horror, seeing what he thinks is a, basically a ghost to a state of confusion and then eventually he actually gets to back to being himself being very serious rick tells cap that the avengers are actually missing and that rick thinks that cap knows where they are the two of them look into what happened with the press pool and they realize that there is an individual who is using what is certainly not a camera though at the time probably appeared to be something similar to a camera so immediately Cap starts ordering Rick to help him track down this person. And with the help of the team brigade, which again, the team brigade, you know, blah, but with the help of the team brigade, eventually Cap does find this individual and confronts him. Now it appears that this person has various mobsters in his employ, various henchmen, guards. It's kind of unclear. We do get some great Captain America fighting. Cap is a very acrobatic fighter. And then he's also got all the, the dynamics with the shield. So it's, it's a lot of fun to watch Cap fight. But of course, eventually he corners his quarry and realizes that he is in fact an alien. That's right. An alien from space. Now, this particular alien is a race known as the Dabari. And for those of you who are big Marvel fans, maybe not recognize the name. However, you see a picture, he's a kind of a broccoli looking guy. Maybe kind of vaguely familiar. 
we actually won't see these aliens again until X-Men 135, at which point their entire planet and solar system is wiped out by Dark Phoenix. So I mentioned back in episode one, there was that whole part where the Marvel method fell apart a little bit and Jean Grey committed genocide. Unfortunately, it's this guy's race. And as we'll see by the end of the issue, unfortunately, probably this particular guy went with them. So for now, though, the, our alien friend gives Cap a brief history of how he got here, his, his spaceship crashed underwater and he couldn't get it out. You know, it was many hundreds of years ago, so he was looking for help. Uh, it appears that he is the origin of the Roman and Greek myth of Medusa because his hair kind of looks like snakes and he's got the gun that turns people to stone. And it's a really cheesy explanation, but sure, why the hell not? Eventually, though, our friend admits to having been put on by the Submariner, who is still really pissed off at the Avengers, and who has promised the alien that he will help him get his ship out from the bottom of the ocean in return for the defeat of the Avengers. So he, of course, as we already know, turned the Avengers into stone. Of course, Namor, not being one to just let things happen, is creepily watching everything that's going on, and obviously realizes that the man that... the alien, I should say, the man that he has hired to defeat the Avengers, has turned his back on them. And once again, Namor runs out into the ocean in frustration. However, to Namor's luck, he finds a group of his elite guard that are out looking for him. So if you remember back, last issue we talked about it briefly, Namor has basically been abandoned by his people. Back in Fantastic Four Annual Number 1, Namor was accused of divided loyalties between his people and protecting Sue Storm, who he's had a crush on for many, many years. I mean, not many years at this point. It's probably only been yeah, maybe three years-ish. Historically in Marvel, Namor's kind of had a thing for Blondes and Sue Storm in particular. So because of his divided loyalties, his people have abandoned him. However, apparently he finds this group of elite guards who have not abandoned him and are actually looking for him. Now, this is one panel I have an issue with. In comics, it is often best, and I say often, I can't think of an example where it's not, but we'll just say often for argument's sake, to show and not tell. Since comics is a very visual medium that is accompanied by the words, you can often get the most bang for your buck by showing the audience, showing the reader what you intend, as opposed to just telling them. At times, you'll get writers like Chris Claremont who will show you, you know, through their artist, and then also provide narration that gives you kind of a color or a feeling to the setting, but isn't just a repetition of what you see. Well, in this particular panel, we just see Namor, and he's telling us what he sees which is a very, very terrible, terrible way of doing comics. Now, largely, I've got to blame this on Stan, because, again, the Marvel method injected the art, the inker came in, did the inks, and then Stan came back and filled in dialogue. So what was intended for that dialogue bubble, what Jack had in mind for that particular panel, is probably not what actually ended up in the, in the dialogue. So the next day comes, and the Avengers have made their way out to a deserted island to help our alien friend free his ship. They do, in fact, manage to free the ship, and they leave the alien to make repairs. And as they're kind of getting all their equipment together and getting ready to leave, they are suddenly attacked by Namor and his elite guard. Now, I gotta say, Namor's inclusion into this ending portion of the story, I'm not too keen on. I think it, it really feels kind of like a repeat of last issue. And in fact, I mean, the fight doesn't go the same way necessarily, but there's a lot of the same kind of tropes. Iron Man uses his repulsors on Namor. Wasp attempts a distraction. Namor ends up fighting with Thor over his hammer. Although Thor at one point is just going to town on Namor's minions. We get four out of five panels on a page that are really spectacular of Thor fighting Namor's minions and just taking him to town. 
Now, actually, one of the things we do get out of this fight that I appreciate a lot is I think we get one of the best Ant-Man, Giant-Man transitions that we've seen so far in the Avengers. So at this point, Giant-Man is wrapped up in some nets by Namor's minions. He then shrinks himself down to Ant-Man size and then is nearly swallowed by a fish. Kind of one of the perils of size changing. You know, you're easier to, to get a hold of and, and find and then you shrink down and suddenly you're, you're food for all kinds of things. So, of course, Giant-Man jumps back into his Giant-Man size and then proceeds to do his version of fighting, which is really kind of unimpressive, with more of Namor's minions. Cat, meanwhile, is actually sitting out most of this fight, just kind of observing what's going on. Like, he, he's not familiar at all with any of these characters, although admittedly he should be familiar with Namor, since they're both from the same era, and in fact appeared in comics together, though not in the same story. It was back in all Winners comics in May of 1941. You know, back in those days, comics had a lot of shorter individual stories. So there was a Namor story and there was a Captain America story, but the two didn't actually cross. However, like I said, Cap should at least be vaguely familiar with Namor at this point. Uh, I appreciate the fact that we get Namor attempting to pick up Thor's hammer this time. And it's basically like, oh, wow, you weren't kidding. He, he tries to pick it up and, and his response is, you spoke the truth. Even my more than human power cannot raise it from the ground. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, you, you weren't joking. No kidding. This thing's got... Got some heft to it. I, I can't move it. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's a very odd kind of pause from the fight for, for this one panel. It looks like everyone's just kind of standing around watching Namor try and lift the hammer. Like, oh, okay, I can't lift the hammer? All right, fight's back on. Let's go. It's, it's really kind of amusing. Eventually, though, the Avengers kind of fight Namor to a standstill, and then Namor pulls out his trump card because the Avengers have forgotten that Rick Jones is with them. So Namor basically threatens Rick Jones's life. However, at this point, because Rick looks so much like Bucky, Cap has to act. And he does. This is actually the first time, first and only time in the fight Cap jumps in. He comes right through Namor's legs, tackles one of the minions who's holding Rick. Namor, of course, being as strong as he is, actually picks up Cap one-handed and is about to throttle Cap, at which point we get effectively a deus ex machina here, and our alien spaceship takes off, causing a what appears to be an undersea earthquake. This is the point at which Namor and his followers run off. And Namor's kind of just looking for a reason to leave. Namor admits to having respect for the Avengers and feels really that they should have had a better ending than this. Admittedly, Namor doesn't actually doesn't realize what's going on. And so he thinks the Avengers are dead. And in fact, they are not. Maybe a bit damp, perhaps. Moist, if you will, if you can tolerate that word. But the Avengers are very much alive. And once they have regrouped for a moment, they take this opportunity to offer Cap membership in the Avengers. Having read this a couple times now, other than being Captain America and his show of prowess at the beginning, and maybe the fact that he helped get them unstonified, unfrozen from being stone, Cap really didn't demonstrate a lot of reasons for them to invite him into the Avengers. I mean, let's be honest, we're all kind of glad that they did. You know, the Avengers are, are, at this point, fairly leaderless, and Cap will certainly start taking those reins over. So it, it's to their benefit that they did. Unfortunately, the book ends on what I think is kind of a lame note, in that Rick is off sitting on the rocks, thinking that, yeah, Cap really wants me for a new sidekick, but what's Hulk gonna think? And at this point, I have to think to myself, who cares what Hulk thinks? Honestly, Hulk left the team twice. The Hulk left the team, then Hulk came and actually fought the team in the last issue. Like, I understand Rick has a feeling of obligation towards Hulk and towards Bruce Banner. 
And I can respect that. But the book at this point is no longer about Hulk. And in fact, at this point, Hulk doesn't actually even have his own book. Hulk will basically share a book with Ant-Man for a while uh, until he gets his own book several years down the road. But at this point, I don't really care what Hulk wants or thinks. Let's focus on the Avengers that we have that didn't quit the team, you know? So wrapping up the issue here, I gotta say, you know, the first like two-thirds of the story is, is really pretty solid. You know, we get the introduction of Cap, we get Cap going on a little adventure to help save the Avengers... But like I said, the inclusion of Namor at the end really feels kind of redundant to the last issue, and it's unnecessary, right? We've got this cool alien character that we don't do a whole lot with. Like, once the Avengers are unfrozen, the alien basically becomes, you know, non-existent. You know, he's only ever seen as a very tiny figure in distance shot panels. And for several pages here at the end, we forget he even exists until his spaceship blasts off and causes the, the earthquake. I would have really liked to have seen more of the alien. I don't know what they would have done with him, but I think it would have certainly would have been more interesting to do something with him as opposed to Namor. The issue is essential in the fact that it's obviously the return of Captain America, Captain America joining the Avengers. Other than that, I mean, like I said, I, the story was solid, it was good, but it's kind of forgettable. It doesn't mean a whole lot. It, we do introduce the Dabari, who, while not an important species in Marvel, these are not the Skrull or the Shi'ar or the Kree, anything like that. They do, however, play a part in one of the most pivotal events in Marvel Comics, which is the Dark Phoenix Saga. So, you get that little bit of history. Moving forward, we will see the team start to coalesce more and more around Cap. Obviously, you know, once we get into the late teens, I believe it's issue seven. I could be wrong on that, though. We will actually lose effectively all of the original Avengers, which is really kind of astounding. That's the point at which we will replace the Avengers we think of at the moment, and we will get Hawkeye, we will get Scarlet Witch, we will get Quicksilver, but we will keep Captain America. So not only that, but Captain America will provide just a general much-needed leadership role for the team. The team doesn't really have a leader to an extent, they try and actually stay away from having a leader. They're, they're very democratic about how they run the Avengers. They will actually take turns chairing their monthly meetings. But in the end, Cap really starts to provide the foundation and that unified vision moving forward for the team. This has been a pet peeve of mine for a couple of issues now. And I'm going to rant about it for just a moment here. But punctuation in these books is absolutely offensive. Right. I understand you're sitting there going, how is punctuation offensive? You're out of your damn mind. The only punctuation we ever seem to get in these books is a question mark, two question marks, an exclamation point, or far more frequently, we actually get two exclamation points. I have yet to see an actual period in this book. Nobody makes a damn statement. Everything has to be an exclamation or a question. I understand it's comics and it's dramatic, but my God, this is the language of Shakespeare here. I don't butcher it this badly, and I'm not the most eloquent person you will ever meet. But I know how to use a period. And again, this is one of those, I don't know if it's Stan's writing, it's, it's the script that the, guy, that the guy get, or it's the letterer's choice, or who does this. I am looking forward to the day that we get normal punctuation in a, in a book. It's all I want. Okay, it's not all I want. I want a lot of things. It's one thing I want. Please give it to me sometime. Please. Alright, well, speaking of things I want... The art on this book is just fantastic. This is spot on, top of his game, Jack Kirby. 
There are some panels in this book that are just breathtakingly good. And this is one of those times, I think I mentioned this before, for a long time, I didn't understand why people like Jack Kirby's art so much. And a lot of that had to do with the Jack Kirby art that I have seen. The first couple of issues of X-Men are particularly bad about this. And I hadn't really gotten a chance to dig into Kirby's art all that deep. But these Captain America panels, this is what makes Jack Kirby's art fantastic and why he is Jack the King Kirby. I mean, there's other stuff out there that is even better than this, let's be honest. You know, some of his work on Fantastic Four with Galactus, all the Kirby crackle, his fourth world, his work on Thor is all probably better than this. But this is amazing comic book work. And this is why Jack gets emulated so much. I would probably have to go ahead and give the story about a three and a half. It's an important story, like I said, but it's not a particularly memorable story. If it weren't for the fact that this is the story in which Captain America returns, I would say that we wouldn't we wouldn't pay much attention to it at all. Obviously, I, the art on this one is, is really a five out of five. Like I said, yes, there is better Jack Kirby art out there, but you'd be hard-pressed to find better comic art of its time. This is certainly a prime example of the best that Silver Age Comics has to offer. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next week, we are going to be taking on our first double issue. And we will be taking a trip over to Fantastic Four for issues 25 and 26. The Hulk versus The Thing and The Avengers Take Over. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.